Todd Geralds grew up as the coach's son. He often saw the impact his father had on the players he coached, but something changed when he came to Christ. I saw a difference. It was kind of like his motivation for things had changed. I think he had been driven to be a great coach before because he wanted to be a great coach. Now he wanted to be a great coach, but it was because he wanted to glorify God and he wanted to love these players and give them opportunities. In Always Fall Forward, Todd's latest book, he shares life lessons he learned on the football field. Lessons he learned from his dad. Always Fall Forward challenges men each week to live the way the coach lived grounded in faith and willing to stand up for what he believes, no matter what the cost. I think we can all learn something from the coach, and hopefully this book can help. In this episode, you'll hear our conversation about Todd's journey through writing this book and what it was like growing up with his father. My usual co-host Joy was out of town, so I was joined by Tyndale Publicity Director Todd Starowitz. So yes, that's right, there were two Todds in the room that day. And if you stick around, Towards the end, since this was recorded uh, several months ago, you can hear us make our college football predictions for the college football season that just ended. So please enjoy this conversation with Todd Geralds. And if you want to learn more about Always Fall Forward, visit Tyndale.com. Todd Geralds is the author of Woodlawn and the new book, Always Fall Forward. Um, I know uh, you, you're here at the Tyndale offices, which is rare for our, our podcast interviews, so it's nice to have you here, so welcome. Thank you. Um, you mentioned in your talk this morning that um, with Woodlawn, uh, you're one of the characters in the movie, you're a little, a little boy, mm-hmm. so can you tell us a little bit about your journey in your life, and then what made you decide to finally write this story? Yeah. Um, so uh, growing up, I was a coach's son. My dad um, coached at an inner city school in Birmingham, Alabama, and I was uh, just—I was like a gym rat. I would follow him. I'd go with him all the time to the school. And to me, it was—I was climbing under the bleachers in the gym, you know, jumping. Up. Y'all are well. You're probably not. You're probably old enough to remember that in track, they used to just have these nets full of st- uh, foam when for the high jumpers and stuff. You know, I'd jump on that. That was like a trampoline to me and stuff. And I was always around. But I saw um, an amazing thing happen there. And, you know, at the time I didn't even recognize how amazing it was because I was such a young kid. I had no context for it. But I, I my dad's whole team came to Christ. And ultimately my dad seeing how the love of God had changed his football team he came to Christ and um, and that was a very I mean, it was a 40 of 44 guys prayed to receive Christ one night after hearing the gospel um, a guy named Wells Goble came in and spoke to my dad's team and 40 of 44 and the reason it wasn't 44 of 44 is the other four were already Christians so my dad's whole team came to Christ and this was in the middle of a fairly volatile period in, um, in our country's history, but particularly in Birmingham, Alabama, um, as far as race. And at that time, uh, the federal government had mandated um, integration of the high schools. And so it was the first time that a lot of kids had gone to school with uh, black kids with white kids and white kids with black kids. And up until that time, there had been a lot of dissension and division and fights and a lot of things going on in in the school and everything else but um, dad's football team they all came to Christ and there was a radical transformation that happened with them and you know it's kind of funny because dad 
um, was way more protective of me at the school prior to this conversion. I, he was like, don't, you don't need to run off down those halls or, you know. But um, after the, the football team came to Christ, it was kind of like this revival went through the whole school. And my dad saw the change in the players, and he came to Christ kind of apart from that, um, from the, uh, the presentation, if you will. He just um, saw the love of God being lived out in these people, and it had such an impact on him. And, you know, we were talking earlier, and I mentioned John 13, 34, and 35, and Jesus said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, and by this the world will know that you're my disciples, by the love you have one for another. And he said, you know, they will know that this is true because of your love. And that was really what happened with my dad. And for me, my, the transformation of my dad, he was always a good dad, I would say. I mean, he was... Um, but... I saw a difference. It was kind of like his motivation for things had changed. I think he had been driven to be a great coach before because he wanted to be a great coach. Now he wanted to be a great coach, but it was because he wanted to glorify God and he wanted to love these players and give them opportunities. And um, so I grew up with that and um, started, you know, I listened to my dad and learned from him. And over the years, the older I got, the more I realized what a profound thing had occurred at Woodlawn High School. Um, that was where he was the coach. And um, he got out of coaching for a period of time. And when he got back in coaching seven years later, I was, I was playing for him. And I noticed a lot of racism and things um, around us at the time. And I was, um, I was kind of shocked by it. You know, I mean, I didn't, I was like, you got to be kidding me. But it made me realize what a big deal Woodlawn was. Time goes by, I play college football, and I hear everybody's stories, white guys and black guys, and all the little towns from Alabama and Georgia and the places that they're from, hear their stories, and I realize that, you know, I, my growing up, my upbringing, it was different. It was, you know, it was a pretty profound thing. Not everybody's experienced something like that. So that was another moment where I really realized this is a really neat story, an amazing story. Then I started having, um, or my wife started having our kids. We have four daughters. And I think at that time, I think for a lot of people who have children, their perspective on the world kind of, perspective <laughs> on the world broadens, you know, you just, and things, there's a higher level of, of importance placed on certain things. And I, um, I started thinking I'd like my kids to really know what their granddad is all about. Um, unfortunately, or, um, you know, for them, my father was diagnosed with cancer when he was 59. He died six months later at, at 60. And during that time, um, I really, it became more and more important for me in my mind that I want to preserve the legacy of him. I want them to know about him because my, if I, this daughter, we had a daughter who had just been born. Uh, she's never going to know him. Uh, he held her, we have a picture of her, he held her once, you know, um, before he passed away. And um, and if I had any more kids, they wouldn't know him. And my other kids were, you know, have, maybe have a vague memory of him. But So I started taking notes. I actually used those little handheld recorders that had an actual tape in it and stuff back then uh, for, um, to record conversations with him. And um, really got, I wanted to get as much as I could from him in the limited time I had left with him. And we prayed for healing, and, and God does heal sometime, and God doesn't heal sometime. Um, and in this particular case, um, 
you know, he, dad went on to be with, with the Lord and um, I had gotten a lot of information together. And so I kind of piddled, that's a Southern word, but um, <laughs> do y'all use piddled up here? Is that no, no piddling? <laughs> so uh, I piddled with writing for a while and, um, and really I had done a good little bit on it. And out of the blue, I got a call from uh, John Irwin uh, one of the Irwin brothers, John and Andy Irwin are movie producers. And they said, Todd, we want to talk to you about a movie idea. Because I knew their dad, I'd worked with their dad previously, um, right when I got out of college. And because their dad had been the chaplain for my dad's football team, I knew exactly what any movie idea from these guys would be about. It wasn't going to be the Todd Gerald story because there's nothing to tell really. But I knew that this Woodlawn story was amazing. So they met with me and I'm, I sat down um, at a table and they had a kind of a microphone like this and a camera on me and they had me tell the Woodlawn story in detail. They were asking me all kind of questions and stuff. Two hours later we finished and they said, well, we really want to do this and we want it to be based on your book. And I was like, well, man, I guess I better finish that thing, <laughs> you know? And so, um, so that was how that happened. And really the genesis of that book was the story itself. The story is, is what God did. Uh, you know, I didn't need to add anything there. You didn't need to be a great author to be able to tell that story. You needed to be able to remember things and, and, and tell what you saw and tell about what God did. And as a result of that, I really made a conscious decision to write the book as history. I didn't call Coach Gerald's dad. I didn't talk about how I felt about the situations. I just said, here's what happened. And uh, in the preface, I actually kind of give my heart a little bit in the book, but the rest of it was just history. And I was very happy with the book, and I was very happy with the movie. Um, but I knew that um, I had not really passed on a whole lot of what my dad's overall legacy was. I mean, who was this guy? We saw a snapshot, you know, a, a period of his, his, con his conversion. I can't talk. It's conversion. But we didn't see the years after that and the impact that he had and, uh, I was not able, I didn't express what he had done for me. And so I started really wanting to do that, having a heart for, for passing that along. And even, you know, with my children, trying to pass that along to them. That's, you know, the story is what made my dad become this guy who had all this wisdom and everything else. And, and that's, that part's missing. And so I really wanted to tell that story. And that was really how the book Always Fall Forward uh, came to be and it was really just always fall forward is is actually a chapter title and it's just one of these principles that my dad taught me in football but that applies to life you know you're going to get knocked back sometime like sometimes somebody may miss a block and you're hitting the backfield if you're a running back or something like that but you can still do everything you can to get every inch out of what's happening and that's kind of the idea behind always fall forward and you can look at things in scripture and this is kind of the idea with the book that that give you a perfect illustration of that. I mean, you can think about things that happen uh, in Paul's life that would seem like major setbacks, but that uh, really God was using those things. And so um, each chapter in the book kind of tells a, a story um, or gives an idea of a, a principle that you can live by, really that I learned either on the football field or in the den of our house or something like that. Um, and then how that applies, uh, how the Bible applies to that. So it gives us kind of a both sides of the brain for men, you know, um, the, some of the things that we love along with our heart and our soul. 
um, that was the, the idea. Was that, a, that was pretty yeah, all inclusive. Yeah, was. <laughs> uh, was there anything that, as you were working on both these books, that you learned about your dad or just um, your life growing up that you didn't know about, that you learned while you're researching or just working on? Well, I think um, there's a man that I'm, I'm glad I can mention him on this podcast just because um, the movie didn't mention him. I mentioned him in the book, but he's just a great man named Julius Clark. And um, talking to my dad and even going to Mr. Clark's house and interviewing him for the Woodlawn book, he's, I'm guessing he's 80-ish, um, African-American man, lives in North Birmingham. And he was the boys' advisor at, Bur at Woodlawn High School. Back then, even though they were integrating, they had a white boys' advisor and a black boys' advisor. He was the black boys' advisor. And Dad told me a story about Mr. Clark stepping in front of a group of kids who were seeking to harm my dad. I mean, they might have killed him in the situation, but Mr. Clark said, if you're going to hurt him, you're going to have to hurt me first. And the kids backed down and left. And it was such a pure story of selfless love and two weeks before my dad died we were sitting out next to the pool and so two weeks before he died he was thinking about mr clark julius clark and telling me you know i wouldn't even be here today probably if it weren't for this guy and um he was he didn't care what anybody else thought he was going to do what was right and um and he loved well and my dad just had so much respect for him and loved him and that was a fairly profound story and to get to meet Mr. Clark and to hear about his life and, and who he was um, was really, really neat. Um, I mean, there's a number of things like that. I think that the biggest thing that it did for me um, in writing Always Fall Forward was it kind of crystallized a lot of things. You know, as you're writing something down or saying something out loud, it, it's like it becomes more real to, uh, mm -hmm. to you. And so I think it actually made me a whole lot more grateful as I was able to kind of really think through 52 different life lessons that my dad taught me, um, the profundity of each of those things, but also just that how grateful I am that God gave me a father who poured that stuff into me. And I, I said this earlier today, um, my dad by no means was without sin. I mean, he, he was a regular guy, but I think that's what's so profound about it. We're all regular guys and we can all have that kind of impact despite our failures. Um, because God's a God who redeems, and um, that's, I think, I feel like in our, in this book, we do a, a really good job at, at showing this guy, you know, despite uh, flaws or anything else, um, he was able to really make an impact with his simple life. He was a high school football coach in Alabama. Could the story have been written, um, always fall forward, could it have been written if your dad had not had that conversion? How would those lessons look? Different. Oh wow, that's a great question, Todd. Uh, I think the, um, I think that I've, I've told some people this this before. I think a lot of things might have looked the same. You know, his actions may have looked the same, but the motivation behind it uh, would have been very different. And that's the thing is that the motivation behind why somebody does something is everything. You know, and um, and therefore his his treatment of me and instilling these things in me. Uh, was one of love and because he had the end in mind you know it, he wasn't demanding perfection or excellence because he needed that from me he was doing that for my good and um and that's i mean that's apparent you know even now with my children it's i think we are in a 
culture and a society today where it's really easy to go along with the kids just because everybody else's parents and you know but for a true love is you know telling somebody what they need to hear not what they want to hear and and requiring things of someone that they need to be pushed you know to do and but you can do that you know you can do that in the wrong spirit and and just destroy someone and um, so my dad you know he was tough but you knew that his motivation was for your good and that's a very that's why i think us when we question god we go through tough things in life you know oftentimes i think we like why are you doing this and so again with my my father i knew that he had my my good in mind and, and i'm not saying that every time as a child i thought you had my good in mind. i mean <clears throat> but knowing that and especially reflecting on that with him that's what made a difference to answer your question Todd that's why it was it was effective was because his motivation was spirit-led and was um, grounded in that he didn't have selfish motivations behind it and I can tell you I can confess as a Christian there's times I want my kids to behave because I want them to behave you know as opposed to I'm like uh, Robert Wolgamuth said in a book that and he wasn't raising daughters to be good children he was raising them to be good women and that's um so having that end in mind and i think that even as as christians we can sometimes question god and we get maybe we get angry at god or we're wondering where he is in a situation or why this is happening he allows us to go through tough stuff and 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 go through these things to find him and to grow closer to him and and it's only if we reflect on the character of god and what his motivation is for us and what what the scripture says is that he he only wants good for us that um we're able to live a life in in submission and obedience to him and even when you know the rain falls on us or the sun shines on us you know we can we can say blessed be the lord (laughs) yeah so um do you have any favorite um lessons from the book uh Hmm. particular favorite or just one that stands out to you i like one uh one particular um there's a chapter called um follow your blocks in football, you're, it's basically don't run where all the people are. Go go behind the people who are trying to clear a path for you. And um, I get into a little bit more detail than that, much to the, the chagrin of my editor, Sarah, who is not a big football fan, but it's okay. So you're to follow your blocks. And in football, there's if the guys in front of you are doing a good job, there's a clear path that you're supposed to go through. And... Um, the Bible teaches us when we read Psalm 23. I mean, we are designed to be followers. We're designed as sheep, and He is our shepherd. And you know, I think that people have used analogies with sheep. Sheep are stupid, and and things like that. And therefore, you know, we're stupid. That's not it. Sheep just have a very strong following instinct. They are meant to be shepherded, and so are we. So we're meant to follow someone and. Uh, the Bible is our is our, our lead and our guide. There's a story in that this particular chapter though about a, a flock of sheep whose shepherds left them to go to lunch down in this town, and they left them. And because they have such a, a herding or, or flocking, you know, kind of instinct to follow one another, one sheep wandered off. Another sheep followed. Another sheep followed, and one by one they walked over a 400 foot cliff and died a thousand i think it was 
1,500 sheep went over the cliff. Only 400 of them died because after that, there was a big puffy pile of sheep. <laughs> you know, it was a shorter and shorter fall. But it illustrates that, you know, we are meant to follow, and if we follow the wrong thing, we're going we're gonna to fall off a cliff, you know, uh, as so to speak. Or in football, if we go the wrong way, we miss this, this path that's been paved for us. And so we're designed to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit and God's Word. And that, that's what we need. That doesn't make us dumb. That doesn't make us anything else. It means that we're actually living the way that we're designed to live. We're designed as sheep who need a shepherd. And um, so the, you know, the basis, that, that particular chapter is really, you know, we're talking about Psalm 23 and follow your blocks. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you think about it that, but when you put those two things together, it, it makes a lot of sense. That's a, that one for me was a, a lot of fun. And, um, you know, reading that about those sheep, I was like, that is remarkable. You know, the guys came back and found this giant pile of sheep. And, you know, very disappointing for them. So, I actually kind of wanted to know a little bit about the influence that Bear Bryant had on your dad, if he did. Um, just the, the cultural impacts of Bear Bryant in the state of Alabama yeah. uh, is obviously significant. Well, it's kind of funny that you ask because, I mean, my dad was a very, very staunch Auburn guy, played ball at Auburn, and, um, and yet um, he had an enormous amount of respect for Coach Bryant. And, the, and, and it's funny because I actually had to write a caveat in one of the chapters of, the, of, of Always Fall Forward that I am an Auburn person for any of you reading this. But this chapter is going to be about Nick Saban, who's also an outstanding coach at, at, at Alabama now. But my dad um, modeled his preparation after Bear Bryant. That was uh, he said, "I he's the best at preparing a team that he ever saw." And um, and I when it's kind of funny you asked the question because uh, when I was interviewing Tony Nathan for the book Woodlawn, I asked him. I said, "You know, you played for." three iconic coaches one of them became iconic later i mean you know well after you were there you didn't know he was an icon at the time but you played for don shula with the miami dolphins and you played for coach bryant at alabama um talk to me about how you know what each of them brought to the game and um the 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 profound thing was coach bryant and your dad were just alike he said you know they um but his thing wasn't the preparation it was we all knew that they were in this for the kids we knew it was about us we would do anything for them we'd run through a wall for them and i thought that was pretty profound i think my dad would have been proud that tony answered that way um that being said you know dad wanted auburn to beat alabama every time they played and and probably wanted other people to beat alabama sometime too you know but uh but he had an enormous amount of respect for coach bryant and you're right the influence that he had in the state i mean it's still being built there in alabama today if you drive down i-65 from here and just keep going all the way to the coast you will probably see 25 cars that actually have a houndstooth hat sticker on the back which you know this is a guy who's been gone since the what early 80s and uh that's I mean, 35 years later, people are, have a hat on their car because of the influence that you had. It's pretty amazing. So we're about a month away from the college football season. Any any predictions? I would tell you to look out for Auburn. I mean, uh, they. Uh, <laughs> I'm a big Auburn fan, um, and uh, my wife went to Alabama, but um, 
we're a big Auburn family, and um, but I have an enormous amount of respect for Coach Saban and for the team there. I think that you can never bet against Alabama, and as if you're Baptist, you shouldn't be betting anyway. <laughs> I might want to edit that out. But, um, no, but um, I'm not saying – I think that Alabama's uh, – they're all – they just have such great players, and, they, and they're so well coached. But Auburn has a core that um, they return a lot. They have a, a potential catalyst at quarterback now that they had transferring Jared Stidham. We could do a sports thing. <laughs> I really do. I do. I really do think Auburn maybe uh, they're not so much of a dark horse because like the ESPN computers are, have them at five right now. So um, you know who knows. I, I love the game though. I love the game as much for watching the game as you know. You watch each play and it's, you think about each day of our life and things happen and when things go wrong what do you do with that and it's just such a there's life lessons that's that's why writing this book was such a natural for me too so anyway well I'm an Ohio State fan so I'll just stay quiet yeah we talked about that I told the Buckeyes was just being another team if they were in the SEC West I told him y'all would fit right in in the well, SEC West that's what I believe I think you would be you'd be good like everybody else in the SEC West well, yeah Urban Meyer's trying to bring some of that SEC up and he's 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 the real deal he's um yeah. you know people down there they they kind of he kind of chapped him a little bit when he left but that's all right you know that's yeah, he's, he's from Ohio, though. He's from right down the street from where I grew up. I think he needed to do that. You know, when yeah. my dad stepped away from coaching at Woodlawn, he had, he had just become a Christian and had two years of, uh, of success and all this stuff going on in his faith. And, you know, we the, the process of sanctification doesn't happen overnight, you know. And um, I think he recognized – I'm – I'm a little out of balance here, I think. I still have so much of this old me that doesn't know any other way but this. And um, so he stepped away from it for, for seven years. You could call it burnout, whatever, but it was he had to get recalibrated. And, uh, and when he did, he came back and he had a long career and was very successful. And um, I think he always wrestled with balance. You know, I think a lot of us as guys, it's, we have to fight against finding our identity in our work or any of these roles or anything else and making sure that we find our identity in Christ. And, you know, that's a daily prayer, you know, and I think that, um, but dad, the, the end of, at the end of his life, the impact that God had had through him is, is undeniable. So, well, always fall forward comes out in February, 2000, March, March, we 2018. <laughs> um, if, if people want to learn more about you or connect with you, are you on social media? Or? I am. I'm on Facebook, um, Todd Gerald's, or um, there's also Todd Gerald's Woodlawn author, basically. Uh, but you can just search me. I friend people if if I see that they have an interest in that stuff. I'll I'll friend them. And I'm also um, it's easy to email me, and I really generally answer emails from people. Todd at WoodlawnTheBook.com. That'll probably change in the coming months, but. Um, that's the easiest way to reach out to me. Thanks for spending time with us. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks for sticking around for this episode of the ARC Podcast. If you want to hear more episodes, you can find us at readthearc.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. Be sure to keep an eye on our feed for some great interviews coming up with authors like Francine Rivers, and Joel Rosenberg.